Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm back. He is back. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Hello! Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I feel at peace now that Mr. Glenn Fitzgerald is back in the podcast uh, realm, casting the pod with us where he should be. Woot. That's right. Lee can remove his yellow jacket. He can put down his sign. He is under protest no longer. It's all coming together. We got a great show. We got some wonderful questions lined up for you. Show you tell you how you can get in touch with us your own questions. But first, it must be declared, it's been a while, a dating emergency. What? There's an emergency. There an emergency? is an emergency. A real emergency? Apparently, because... I I got quite the uh, quite the briefing of it. So okay. uh, my my fiance the other the other day had like a meeting with kind of from her her as a small group of friends. You know, so they go out and they have dinner and they're talking. And as it might at a what was a kind of an ersatz uh, kind of bridal party, turn talk turns to dating. Some of us are married. Some of us are dating. Some of us are right. attempting dating. And a, a pattern emerged apparently. Okay. And it, you know we're nothing if not men of science. Sure. So when an observable pattern emerges, we take notice. That's that's the main thing people say about me. Yeah, we're, yep. we're all we're it's pretty much for Carl Sagan's on this podcast. <laughs> 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 or Neil deGrasse Tyson, copy and paste as your age dictates. Sure, totally. You know I have beef with him over Pluto, and that's never going away. Well, the good news is the internet's starting to agree with you. Of course. That dude is on the outs. Ah. So, uh, but meanwhile, uh, so we, a friend of the show, superfan Amanda, has uh, been trying to do her part. Yeah. In a very kind of victory garden planting way, you know, the wartime spirit. Sure. Yeah. And that's, so she's, she's gotten married, but she says, um, she's trying to set up the people. Right. On so, a date. On dates. Not, like yeah, a, not for like a crime. No. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> when you say. This is Chicago. Okay. Um, so, but this is, this is the pattern that has emerged. I think there's something illustrative in this for us. Okay. Uh, so to so say, I have a, so go to a young man at the church and say, "My friend, who wants to date? I think you'd be a good match." Right. And you, can I? Can you, would you be good if I set that up? I do everything. I'm essentially delivering unto you, gift wrapped, a date. Right. You are not dating. You seem to want to date. You talk about that. So boom. And here's what's happened. They say at the moment, you know what? I think I would like that. What? Well, that sounds great. And then sometime in a span... Because, if I could interject... Please. They say, yes, that sounds great, because there's actually nothing not to like about that. Yeah, right. it's... Because like, it's a nice person of the opposite sex that you can meet and have coffee or other beverages. Sure, if, if sure. that's not your jam, that's cool. Whatever you We'll allow a smoothie. They got other I'm, stuff. I'm not asking, you stuff. know... A nice green tea. Ooh. A green tea. It's got antioxidants. It does. And you too oxidized now. That's, that's, <laughs> that's part right. of your problem. There's nothing... You're not, rusting from the inside. You're meeting a lovely person and getting to know them and having a beverage. Yes. This well, is not a crisis. It's not. And to this point, Glenn, uh, the number one thing would, that would we would we hear about, we would think would be 
a barrier to dating would be, and it's understandable, we don't want, the fear of rejection. Right. That's you say, right. I'm, as a person, I put myself right. out there, and what if it happens? This is, we've removed that variable. Right. This is a guarantee. Well, Mr. King, on that basis, I fail to see why we declared an emergency. It seems yeah. to me people have Good a point. desire to be dating. Someone has given them a great solution that is low to no risk. It feels This is a point of celebration. That's How right. on earth could there be an emergency in this wonderful news that you're sharing with us? Well, Counselor Jed, apparently, <laughs> the Say That Podcast, a Dick Wolf production this week. <laughs> Allow me to introduce a new piece of evidence. Ooh. You've stopped me halfway through this series of events. Oh, I see. Oh, I there's see. more. There's more. But wait, there's more. So we get, <laughs> I, you know, I think I would like that. And then in the intervening two to three days, our friend who's doing the setting up, Miss Amanda, gets a text that I've heard the, wor- the words of which in the text, I've not heard the tone, but I'm going to do okay. my interpretation of what this is. Okay. Yeah, you know, I thought about it, and I've been praying, and I don't think the Lord really wants me to be in a relationship, oh, so I think I'm ready for that thing right uh, now, so no. no. Okay. But now, let, let me review. Please. Uh, you know. Uh, I like us to occasionally stop down the emergency segment for a review session. <laughs> this is, was this, your honor, was this a, uh, a are we are we saying, let's have a nice beverage. Sure. And interacting and so forth. Getting to know one another. Sure. Or was You'd it... have food. You'd have, you'd have a nice biscotti. They had those at these places. That's a, look, if you don't want a biscotti, we've got deeper issues Indeed, here. we do. No doubt. I've said that many times. Okay. Seems likely. But what I'm trying to say is, you're, the response is, I'm not ready to have a relationship sure. right now. This is not... A relationship. Yeah. This is coffee. Yeah, they call it a blind date, not a blind relationship. Those are two different words. <laughs> it would be really odd for you to agree to a blind relationship. But yes, Glenn, it would. We understand. If, if but that's a great reality show. If we have coffee, isn't it possible that I will get soul ties with you? Well, nope. see, no, that's no. Being that I've had coffee with all three of the men on this show, I hope not. <laughs> That'd be weird. Hey, well, but that opens you know. up, I believe, where your friends the Say That podcast can come in. Because again, we have we have repeated observance of this phenomenon, and I think we're just the kind of outside the box thinkers who can come up with a solution. Oh okay. yeah, because clearly, and, and I, I will throw my hands up and say we 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 may have contributed to this issue because oh. we have been advocates throughout the history of the show. For the open approach. Okay, right. So put it out there. Yep. Be vulnerable. Yep. Be open. Be direct. Yep. The direct approach. Yes. Yeah. So someone says, you want to date? You say, I would like to date you. Can we do dating? Yep. And we, so we've, we've liked the direct approach. What we have here is the direct approach failing relatively miserably due to the character or issues or whatever the people being approached. Right. So now, with the direct approach failing, I suggest zany hijinks. Oh, I can we really set up loved saying hijinks. Like I'm thinking a Siri, a kind of sting operation style, <laughs> maybe yeah. a, a elaborate series of traps and kind of a right. home alone situation. Nice. But we we clearly got to trick and chicanery these people, right? And I think we're the people with the skill set for that. So yeah. do we have any any starter plans for how we can uh, put bring the old whoppy dop into dating, if you will? Right, right. Well, 
I'm thinking of it could be like one of those uh, reality TV gotcha kind of okay. oh, prank date punk thing. Sure, one of those. That sounds right. But it's like everybody, like you go to the coffee shop and there's like 12, 15 people in there. Right. And then one by one, they all leave. Ooh. Oh. And it's just you and the yeah. person. Yeah. And then somebody sets off like an air horn. You've been set up. You've and been then leave. And then you're on the date. Yeah, that's good. And then you can't leave. That's good. That's set up. It works both ways, you understand. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I love a very, you know, kind of a scatter. And you're just, yeah. the door's locked from the outside. Now you're on a date. It's sort of like, what? <laughs> That kind of, you know. Well, I like this. The thing I like about this is that it's clear that the thing we need to do is remove, particularly of the, the male people in these interactions, remove their freedom of choice. Right. Because they prove they can't be trusted with it. Definitely. So do we have any other kind of scenarios and ideas along this way? Lee, what do you got for us? Is it possible to coordinate the spirituality into the gotcha situation? Can we leverage a guy's quiet time at the coffee shop into an incognito date. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. Like this. Yeah, that's very good. That's interesting. Because my only plan for the spiritual angle, and I think Lee has given us something much better here, was kind of like through the speaker system or the thing. Uh, Dave, don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Just go on the date. But I like this idea of we're, we're, we're a little more a little more subtle, which I would expect from Lee compared right. to my own plan. Yeah. But incorporating the this the quiet time, the if Christian nonsense gets us into this issue. Right. Can Christian nonsense get us out? <laughs> well, now, my understanding is, and I don't understand this impulse. I don't. I don't have it. But my understanding is the main thing that you do when you have your devotional at the coffee shop, right, is you get your scone, sure, and your latte, sure, and whatever you whatever you're doing. It's very international. Mm. But and then you lay out your Bible, and then you take a picture of it. Right. You got to so, Instagram it because that's like. Right. essential part of the spiritual process. Sure. But what you do is like, you know how your camera, your phone has a camera going one way and yeah. the other way, right? Yeah. So like it, you're taking a picture of the food. Right. It's taking a picture of you and that's going up on the dating site. Okay. And that's okay. how it gets you. Interesting. Yeah, okay. so I like I mean, this a lot. Okay. So okay. it's like, you know, uh, Christians... It's data mining. Yeah, that's what it is. You're like, you know, then you get ma- matched up with a gal at the next table over, see? I like it. Okay, uh, I think... Involuntary may... dating app. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think I may have a way we can we can do this. Plus, there's some cash in it for us. There we go. Nice. All right. Okay. So, uh, we create a system where we certify people as, uh, let's say, evangelism quality inspectors. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. So you, you got to pay for that, of course. It's not free. Sure. But then you're certified. But here's what you do. Once you are a certified EQI, mm. right, you go to the coffee shop and you wait for Jameson to sit down right. with his scone and his latte and his yes. Bible and take his pictures. Right. You don't want to interrupt that sacred part of the ritual. Right. Then you, because you're certified, you go to him and you recite the script. You say, well, hello there, clearly Bible reading person. I am spiritual, but not religious, but seeing you with your Bible in a public place reminds me that I have many questions about faith and spirituality. Could I ask you those questions? And then just see what happens. And if they do a good job, then you go, ha ha, I am a trained and certified evangelism quality inspector, and you have passed the test. Also, this was a date. We just (laughs) went on a date. (laughs) Wow. I like that. Okay. Now, 
let me just let's consider the opposite alternative here because sure. we're, we're looking at you know a lot of I think we might have, and I don't mean this unkindly, but I think we might have a lot of people soiling themselves sure. in any of these scenarios because we're not we're not dealing with a, a lot of boldness. Well, there is that on this. But here's here's what I think: Have we been gentle enough? Mm. See what I'm saying? Oh. Okay, let me start with this, Inya. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did, did you have something on? No, on I, think it's, I think it's great. I think See, I like, think that setup was bold enough. The people at home can insert their own joke there. Yeah. <laughs> turn, turn on some Inya. Yeah. Yep. And uh, soothing tones. Totally, absolutely. Sure, a soundscape. Yeah, and then you, get some nice aromatherapy going. Aromatherapy, thank That's right. you. That's right. Everybody get mellowed out. Yeah. And then you say, "Would you like to have coffee?" Right. And they would they'd say, sure, I like coffee. Yes. Would you like to have coffee where other people are? Well, yeah. I like you well, you're talking coffee. about a kind of a gradual incrementalism. Yeah. You, it's, it's like, a, you know, how they deal with the phobias where yeah, they sort of sure. you know, build yeah. it up, you know, and you, <laughs> where you, you're, you're, it's the same as the coffee where you're going now and you have, you're just talking to another person. This yeah. is like a dating inoculation. Yeah, it's exactly what it exactly is. Exactly right. So, you know, just we, we got these, it's like a, a, a deer. You don't want to spook them. Totally. That almost brings, uh, almost invariably, a hunting analogy, which in this case I think is pretty apt. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and leave it there. Yet another dating emergency. Also, off. stop being a chicken. Go out with the girl. Don't use the Lord to get out of that. Yep. Oh yeah, that's the sh- that's the much shorter version right there. That's uh, kind of that's kind of the underlying theory of all these <laughs> yes. things. I think wouldn't really be the way to talk about that. Uh, so we're gonna move on to the Bridgebox plug. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Songs, sermons, maybe about not being a chicken. I'm sure we'll get around to that one eventually. We've probably done something about that. We probably we probably uh, phrased it nicer. Yeah, it sounds like us. about having courage or you know something like that. We're currently in the month. Of September, still talking about being a good encourager. A wonderful topic. Lots of good stuff. Songs, sermons, a great way to support the work we do up here in Chicago, what Lee does down there in Tennessee for only $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I get some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into the episode description and find the links there. First question comes in and it says There were a bunch of climate protests recently. I've never really thought about that stuff too much. Is there a correct Christian take on climate change? And a great question, one maybe folks are thinking about as we record this, there were uh, a number of climate protests kind of across the Western world here in the week that we record this. So, Jed, is there uh, a good, solid footing to start on this with? There is. There is. And this is a great question. We're really glad that you wrote in. So I would encourage you, there's actually a bunch of stuff in the Bible about this, but I'd encourage you to look at Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 9. Those are both good. But I'm going to read you actually probably the strongest verse in the whole Bible, uh, which is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Let's read that again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we have here a clear, not an implication, I mean, a clear statement of stewardship that man has been, has been entrusted the care of the earth. Um, 
I think you could try and make the argument that if I entrust you with a laptop computer, you smashing it on the ground and then pouring water all over it is a form of stewardship, but it's certainly not good stewardship. So I extracted things from it. That's stewardship, (laughs) right? I just kind of pulled all the chips out of it. I I think if you want to know kind of, you know, what's the Christian take, I, I think what we can acknowledge is that there's an area that is very straightforward, and then there's an area that is a bit more gray. Okay, the area that's straightforward is there's no question that biblically human beings have a responsibility to care for the earth and to be good stewards with it. There, there can be no question about that at all. The gray area comes in, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? And part of the reason that that's a gray area is that we will almost certainly need some expertise that is outside of the Bible to answer that question. Um, the Bible is actually not a biology textbook. It's not a science textbook at all. It's, it's a book about the relationship between God and man. And I think the interesting thing is none of us have a hard time grasping these differences in other areas of life. Like when your car mechanic tells you that your transmission is out, you don't stop and consult with your pastor before you decide whether or not we're going to repair that transmission. Because <laughs> pastor doesn't know anything about that. So that would be kind of weird to cut him in on that. But we live in a culture, at least in the United States, where basic stewardship of the environment has been cast as a political issue. It's not. We need to be crystal clear. This has nothing to do with politics. This has way more to do with common sense than anything else. Um, but because politics are so intertwined with church in America, we have made it into a thing where people aren't sure if they should care for the environment unless pastor says so first. That's odd. That's really, really weird. And again, pastor is not a climatologist. Pastor is not a scientist. Amen. Uh, at least most pastors are not. I'm not. Um, there's there's no reason why he would have a particular expertise to comment on that, but I think we actually need to go back to the common sense thing for a second. Christians are called to love the Lord their God with all their mind, and we really don't think about that terribly often, but this is a good moment to engage that. You, I am not a climatologist, and you as a person listening may not be. But we can look up the work of climatologists and certainly the majority of climatologists and get a sense of what the expert view of things is. And we can abide by that. And we can imagine that doing nothing of any kind to safeguard the earth in any way almost has to be a bad idea and too far in one direction. Therefore, we probably don't want to do that and we would want to move in a direction that is not that. You you don't really need to be a climatologist to figure that out. Again, that's just... That's engaging your brain in in loving the Lord your God and and the gifts that he's given you. So to go back to your question, is there a correct Christian take on climate change? In a sense, yes, there absolutely is. Christians are called to be stewards of the earth. They are are called to care for it. Um, Wanton destruction with no regard for the future is not good stewardship. There there really cannot be any disagreement about that. That, Again, that's not a political issue. That's that's just a common decency issue more than anything else. what exactly proper stewardship of the earth looks like, that is more of a gray issue. That is an area where we really need some topical subject matter expertise to come in. But again, we can suss out, even as non-experts, that doing nothing of any kind with no safeguards at all can't possibly be the right answer. So we would want to go in a direction that is not that. I think that's a really, really fantastic place to start off. And Glenn, I'd love you could just pick us up there because I think exactly uh, goes hand in hand with what Jet's talking about here is there is also that a correlate to that kind of, I'm not allowed to think that, you know, 
dumping sewage into the drinking water is a bad thing unless pastor says it's bad or, you know, Christian blog or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's other thing of we've gotten this buzzword, this kind of idea of worldliness or earthliness or whatever is a negative to the point where it's one of those things like, yeah, well, anything other than the purely spiritual is sinful. So, so what if the oceans are boiling uh, in a in a Calvinist sense, they are fallen as well. So shouldn't we right. like, I don't know anybody's making that argument really, really, but I think there's a lot of that stuff tinged mm-hmm. in there of mm-hmm. we as Christians shouldn't care about what happens to the earth. Right, I don't right. think that's biblical. No, it's not. I mean, I, th- I think certainly uh, there's a certain type of person who cares about the environment in a way that is sort of focused on the environment beyond the human element of that like we should we should all just not live in houses because that's would kill a bug or something like that that's that but that's not the debate here's here's the debate and we have to make this really clear so that us sane people can all understand this is a debate about whether breathing pollution into your lungs is good or not <laughs> It's good? It is not good. Oh, dang it. I was so close. <laughs> there, there's actually people on the other side of that saying, that's fine. That's what we're talking about here. Now, give you an example or, or, or sort of a, a thing from my life or the reason why I have sort of the take on this that I do. Uh, I had a conversation with my grandfather. Uh, this was just before he passed away. He was very, very sick uh, and uh, was dying at a, at a young age. Uh, uh, at, at least, you know, as, as we would understand it today. And uh, I was in high school at the time. So it's sort of that, f- those formative years, you know, just thinking about the world and all that. And I'm literally sitting by his deathbed as he's talking to me. And he says, I want to tell you about my life. And he says, I've smoked my whole life, smoked cigarettes. And, um, I believed in my heart there was nothing wrong with cigarettes. Now, the reason why is because I wanted to do it. That's thing number one. Thing number two is I didn't like the idea of somebody telling me what to do, what not to do. The third reason was I listened to really, really dumb people perpetuate <laughs> a bunch of lies to me about it. I, he said I, he named some of his friends who I knew who were not smart people and like, for example, didn't have all their teeth. So when a guy with not a full, like everybody's got like, maybe it's one tooth is missing. We get some dental work going on. When it's like multiple, you know what I mean? When it's a, when it's a house of fire with the teeth situation <laughs> and that person saying, well, I don't think they, they don't even know what gives you cancer. You don't even know could be something in the water. When that person is supporting your argument, <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? He said, I listen to these people. And he said, I went to the doctor because I was feeling extremely ill. And the doctor said, you have cancer. You have two years to live. I asked him why. And he said, because you smoke cigarettes. There is no other factor that could cause this that could create it. And he said, look, I'm not I'm embarrassed to tell you this and I'm not I'm not proud of this. I want you to know on my deathbed I had it in my mind 
that this was a political issue, that this was other people trying to tell me stuff. This was people I didn't like who were smarter than me telling me it was a bad idea to suck soot down into my lungs. And I said, no, I don't think it is. Okay? <laughs> this is the exact same nonsense. Yeah. Mm. And that's what he was trying to tell me then. Don't be this guy. Yeah. There's a certain kind of unthinking skepticism that we can engage in when we just... We 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 said, oh, this I don't like this source of information. I don't like this person's telling me this, so I'm gonna you know not even think about it. I'm not even gonna consider it. That's part of someone's agenda, and I don't like this whole agenda and so on and so forth. But it's the same thing as just buying into something without thinking about it at all. It's, mm. There's no difference. It, it. I think the the point I'm landing on here is, um, vetting the sources of your information is more important now than it's ever been. There's a lot of misinformation about everything. It's easier for it to get out there through media sources. As a Christian, you need to be way more skeptical than you've ever been before, way more discerning than you've ever been before. Uh, that's more important for you than it was for me coming up. Uh, and I support what these fellows are saying. This is Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. That means it belongs to the Lord. That's mm. what he's trying to say, just so you know. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, ah. he's referring to the world when he says everything in it, and everyone who lives in the world. It means it belongs to God. That property, that car, whatever you have, that's not yours. That's God's, and we are all going to give an account for that. We can have debates, and I hope we do, about the best way to deal with all these things. Because it's complicated, and... You can have a lot of disagreement that might bring out a good solution to things, and I think we ought to wrestle with that. But we shouldn't be having a debate about whether pollution is bad. (laughs) (laughs) I feel crazy I have to say these things out loud. So that's it. Yes, crazy indeed. Uh, Lee, and right on there, I'd love for you to pick up exactly where where Glenn left that off, because that idea of getting to that place where you're, you're checking your information, where you're trusting people actually know things, uh, as opposed to going with your gut and just, I, I, you know, I don't like the idea that someone knows more than me and I like summer. So, you know, who cares that everything is melting all the time? What are, what's the underlying thing that allows us to get to that place of doing those things? Yeah, I, th- I think that the, and that's a real good question. I, I think that some of it's tied up in, in the place where Jed started us is that somehow these issues have become tied up into political parties, which are tying us up in knots about all kinds of things by making everybody afraid. Um, When people get afraid, they don't think well. And that's one of the problems that we have is that we have, you know, certain corporations don't want to look at the way that they do things because they don't want to lose any money. And so they have connections to political folks who are pulling strings on people being afraid of things, and so we don't want to listen to anybody. But I think as Christians, because that that was where this question kind of started out was, what's the Christian way to look at this? There's a really interesting thing with Christians, which you don't see a lot of, and you should see a whole lot of, which is that a stance that Christians should be taking more on everything is respectful humility. Um, this is not a thing that, that Christians are known for. And it should be a thing that we are famous for. We should be famous for the people who are respect, who are being respectfully humble. 
about things we don't know anything about. We live in the kind of society right now, especially with just kind of social media and the way that everybody has the ability to project all the time, that opinions are just flying out of everybody's face all of the time about everything. For Christians, we ought to be the people who are sharing less strong opinions and listening to experts more, exactly what Jed was talking about. We should be people that are willing to to understand from experts, willing to know new things that we didn't know before, and willing to change our stance on things. We should be the people that have the most respectful humility. And that's not what we're known for. We're known for being opinionated, we're known for being judgmental, and we're known for being closed-minded. And that's a really, really weird thing. If there's an expert that's telling us something that they know everything about and we know nothing about, we should be the people that listen to them. And obviously, also, we should be the people who are the first in line to change the way that we live if it might benefit other people. And what we're talking about with this particular issue is people who are going to get this planet after we do. Um, So we should be the first people who are willing to change the way that we live to benefit other folks. We should be the first people who are respectfully humble. We should be the first people who listen and grow. And we should be the first people who change the way we behave to benefit others. The... That, and that's the weirdest part about this whole thing is w- that the Christians are known for being the opposite of all those things. The most opinionated, the most closed-minded, the most stubborn, and the most non-listening. That is so strange. Um, and and the, the only Amen. reason that that's true is because we have so tied political power with this identity of being a Christian for some reason. That has no. That should have no hold on us. Paul told Timothy in uh, in the book of Second Timothy that a good soldier of Jesus Christ uh, listens to his commanding officer, and he does not get himself wrapped up in civilian affairs. Um, what that means is this: all this political garbage should not be the thing that affects us, but we should be the first people to listen to experts, the first people to change the way that we behave, the first people to serve other people and to be willing to grow. I hope that that's the way that we deal with not only the climate thing, but with everything. The way that we hear people, like somebody uh, says, hey, that thing that you said last week, I don't know if you're aware of it, but that was, you know, that was offensive to me in sort of a racially toned way. We shouldn't fly off the handle about something like that. We should say to that person, I am so sorry that I offended you. Would you please teach me and make me more informed? This should be the way that we approach all kinds of issues. The way that we talk to people, the way that we deal with people, not just this environmental stuff. We should be the people that are famous, famous for being respectfully humble and willing to grow and change for the benefit of other people. That's absolutely right. That's all really, really good stuff here. One one thing I'll throw in the end here is at least kind of discussing that idea of where our discourse is at this point, how that affects something that should be as blindly obvious as the kind of preponderance of evidence uh, of climate change. So there's, there's an arrogance to that as we're saying there's, there's a, uh, a kind of resistance to a kind of a personal pride on that. I don't want anybody telling me they know more than I do and I have to change the way I do things. So, and those are all pretty anti-biblical. The other thing that's kind of tied up in there, and it's exactly as Lee's saying with this idea that uh, Christianity got tied up in this, this political identity that is just kind of on this list of things that if you are a Christian, you probably believe just you've gotten this prepackaged thing of you 
your opinions about this are X and your opinions about this are Y. For some reason, one of the things that got tied up in there and it relates to exactly what we're saying here is that greed is fine. Mm. Like if you look at the climate change, but things come out recently that like a lot of oil companies, a lot of, you know, these companies have known about this for decades and have admitted internally like, oh yeah, that's a thing. And we should adjust our business model accordingly. We should look at more renewables and we should look at this and all that. Um, so as, as that takes back to what I was talking about with understanding the source of your information, if part of that is we are people who study climate for, uh, for a living, or we are people who, you know, study ecosystems, study the, the Amazon rainforest or, you know, study the, the Arctic ice shelf. And here's what's happening with that. And that's on one hand. Another hand is saying someone, someone saying, uh, all my, all my, uh, money is based on being able to do this. These are not totally yeah. reasonable and op- equal and opposite ends of information. And the Bible is pretty cool about this. I, I typed the word greedy into my, my Bible app here. And these are the first three things that popped up in the book of Proverbs. The greedy bring ruin to their households. Oh. Proverbs 15, 27. <laughs> Proverbs 28, 25. The greedy stir up conflict. Yeah. And this is one that I really like for this. Do, do they use their invisible hand to yeah. stir up the mm, conflict? Yes, indeed. Oh. <laughs> well, that was, we, let's be exactly to that point. In Proverbs 29, 4. By justice, a king gives a country stability. But those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Wow. So we have in the Old Testament here, and it's really just because the Bible, not only is greed bad, there's a reason greed's bad, and it's because it destroys everything. Mm. And I think the people who listen to this show are so intelligent that I'm going to not even finish this point because I <laughs> think you know what I mean. So we're going to move on to our next question here, which also comes in and honestly and says, I need God to forgive me for my past. I also need, I also need help making healthier choices. Where do I start with that? And Glenn, where do we start indeed? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, uh, we want to start with a verse here, Proverbs 24, verse 16. A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. And uh, we were talking about this at the jailhouse today, which is a, a challenging place to talk about forgiveness over past and making healthier choices in the future. And I quoted this verse to him, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Here's the thing about that is you think a righteous man doesn't fall. Yeah. Mm. That's not what the verse says. The verse says a righteous man falls seven times, 70 times, 37 times, 12 times. Righteous people fall. Yep. It's the rising up again is the part that makes us righteous. That's the part that we're confused about. Uh, Christians have a terrible, terrible way of looking at their downfalls, their part where the, the the problem part, and say that defines the quality of my Christian walk. It's the rising up again uh, that makes it work, and that's important because this whole part about making healthier choices, looking into the future, requires a lot of relentlessness. Mm. I wish Christians were more relentless in that way. That that was a a, a sense of what we needed to to have in order to be a Christian. So I told a, a story of the last question about my grandfather. I, I tell you a story about my father um, in, uh, uh, about the same thing. I share this with the fellows at the jailhouse as well. My uh, father worked on, on a dude ranch. and You may have heard of a dude ranch and not know quite what it is, but a, a dude ranch is uh, a, a ranch that's set up for sort of rich city folk to come out and ride a horse and pretend that they're a cowboy. 
Ooh. <laughs> it's really a very silly thing when you think about it, but that's what it's for. Is you get on a horse, you you know, just go nuts. Do whatever pretend yippee IK, whatever you want to do. So uh, my father's job on the dude ranch was breaking the horses. So he would get on these horses and um uh, you know, the fellows at the jailhouse didn't know much about horses. I had, had to educate them that a horse does not want you to be riding on him. He does really is not in favor of that and will <laughs> let you know that if you climb up there. He will he will do what it takes to get you off. But the whole point of that is if you let that horse buck you off and then you just give up, that horse can't be broke, just won't mm. be broke. I mean, because they've, they've learned that this is how I get what I want is, you know, he'll keep bucking you off forever. But if you have that focus and that determination, you get up and you get back on that horse, it might take three times, four times, five times, who knows what. But eventually the horse gets the message, this is your new future. This is how life is going to be. This is, I'm the boss. I'm the captain of the ship. I'm in charge here. You can tell because I'm the one with the spurs in your ribs right now. But this is how we need to think about tackling our problems, is to have that sense of, the more I lay back on them, the more I let them beat me once, twice, or whatever, the more that problem is just going to keep dogging me and just keep on being a problem for me. But having that mentality of that relentlessness is, is important. And one of my fa- things my father would say about that is the funny thing is they'd only have the dude ranch open during the summertime. So you'd come ride the horse during the summertime and the wintertime, you'd close down. But he said every spring we'd have to break all those horses all over again because they got used to not being ridden so it's the same you know he's trying to tell me and that this is how life works is he no matter how many times you beat something it will keep coming back it will keep reasserting itself and trying and 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 not uh, relent to your determination your focus if you have that uh that mentality of whatever i causes me to fall i am going to get back on that eventually you will succeed, but you will be righteous the whole way through because the righteousness is the getting back Mm -hmm. on. Psalm 145, 14, the Lord takes care of all of those who fall. He lifts up all of those who feel helpless. So if that's you, uh, recognize the Lord is there for you. I think that's really fantastic stuff. And Lee, I'd love to, to go to you here. One could say these are two disconnected thoughts. You know, I need forgiveness for my past. I need to make healthier choices, but I really like the person who wrote this in kind of bridging those two yeah. ideas. How do those things interplay and what does that show us about what we need to do here? Yeah, I like that too. I, I see the connection on these things as well. And and I think we have to start with the exact same place that, that Glenn started is this understanding of what is my actual status with God? Because if, if I think that uh, my status with God is up in the air, because of the things that I've done or the things that I may continue to do, then there's a hopelessness that happens there. Uh, because every time I fall again, it's like it's all back up in the air again. It's all a question again. I think that's why it's really good that we, we, we do need to have that solid theology, which I'm glad that Glenn started right there. And that solid theology is that the forgiveness that God is offering is a gift. Uh, the, the, the forgiveness is not something that you earn, 
the forgiveness is not something that you make a promise that you're going to cash in or pay back later to God or anything like that. I mean, we've all had that instinct of kind of making God an emotional promise. If you'll get me out of this, then I swear, Lord, I'm just going to turn it around. You won't even believe how amazing I'm going to be if you'll just get me out of this scrape right here. Uh, But that's not the way the forgiveness of God works. The forgiveness of God is a complete and total gift. It is, it's something I don't have to do anything to receive. I just have to receive it like you would open a birthday present. I just accept it. Okay, cool. Now this is mine. That's a super important thing to understand because what that means is that forgiveness is for the rest of my life. So when I fall again, which is, I'm so glad that Glenn took it where he did because you will fall again as you figure out how to to learn how to walk and how to make healthier choices. When I fall again, I need the foundation of remembering that the forgiveness was not based on me earning it. The forgiveness was just a blanket gift that I just received over the entirety of the rest of my life. Uh, When I have that solid foundation, then I realize that what we're entering into is a relationship now. We're entering into a relationship where uh, the Lord wants to be a part of this process. The Lord who has forgiven me, I am in good standing with him. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can question it. Nobody can judge it. Nobody can, 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 uh, to, can pull the rug out from under me. I am totally forgiven for the rest of my life. Now God wants a relationship with me where he helps me walk into uh, a new version of me. The one thing that I would say... Uh, that I would, the one kind of piece of advice that I would give a person that wants to figure out, okay, how do I make these healthy choices going forward is the key for me, I guess I would just point at my own life and say, the key for me has been fellowship. The key for me has been other human beings that walk alongside me with whom I can be honest and will be honest with me. Um, That may be a pastor. It may be a 12-step group, depending on what we're looking at here. Um, it may be a small group of, of, you know, small group Bible study or just some friends from the church or something like that. Um, in my life, I've had, <laughs> I've had the small groups, I've had the pastors, I've had the friends, I've had, you know, all of that, all of that stuff uh, in trying to figure out how to make healthier choices, walking away from the stuff in my past. Um, the fellowship piece has been so key. And here's where these things are related, exactly like Matt is asking, is when I really and totally and fully believe the truth that the forgiveness of God is a gift I didn't have to earn, now I don't have to worry about being vulnerable with you. I can be completely honest with you, with him, with myself, about myself, because I know I'm totally forgiven. The honesty of vulnerable fellowship and friendship has for me been the most powerful agent for change and healthy choices in my life. I would encourage you to find somebody with whom you can have some good fellowship, whether that's a small group, it's a 12-step group, whatever we're looking at here. But understanding the gift of the forgiveness of God is the thing that's going to give me the confidence to then walk into the kind of uh, the kind of honesty, the kind of vulnerability that I'm going to need to really propel that fellowship forward into some to some healthy change. That is all, all great stuff. And Jed, I think that Lee makes such an important point there. I want to, I want us to expand on it because fellowship really is, we, we talk about a lot is really a kind of, it's a supercharger. It is a thing that can 
cover over multitude of sins. It yeah. really is in there now, but I think it helps us to look at what are the things we're going to get from that fellowship because it can also be a bit of a process to put together. It That's can exactly these right. things. So there's also some things we can start. We're going to have to get an ideal situation. We'll get from the Lord. Yeah. We'll get from our, our kind of solo time and we'll also get from that fellowship. So maybe if we identify what some of those things are, we can start on the process of developing those things in ourselves as we look for that fellowship. So what are the things we need to start making those healthier choices? That's a great question. I would really point to three key things, uh, wisdom, courage, and strength. And I think we actually need to define those because uh, it's, it's easy to kind of just lump them together as good sounding things. So wisdom is knowing what to do. Uh, and, and specifically, it's having God's perspective on what you're dealing with and knowing what to do on that basis. Courage is a special form of strength for taking the step for, you know, kind of jumping in. And then strength is about keeping going once you've done that. So I have a friend I was talking with recently who did something really cool. Uh, she uh, is obviously an adult person, but had never learned to swim. And so had decided uh, that she was going to learn to swim. She was going to, you know, take on that hurdle, which is a super cool thing. Swimming is a lot of fun. And so, but she had never done that. She didn't know anything about it. So she, the first thing that she needed was wisdom. She needed someone to teach her how to swim. Because it's not a good idea to just leap into a body of water and decide you'll figure it out. <laughs> we, we, we actually need instruction. We need expertise. That's the way people learned in the past, based on conversation I've had with people who are clearly lying about how they learned to swim. <laughs> My grandpappy just threw me in and I figured it out. Sure. We don't want to go the grandpappy approach. We want to actually have instruction. We want to have uh, knowledge. We want to have wisdom. Okay, but then you got a teacher and they've told you what to do. You got to have the courage to actually get in that pool and actually dunk your head under the water and try this thing out, right? And that's cool. But once you do that, this is the key thing. You're not a swimmer yet. Now you got to keep going. Now you got to do that thing again and again and again until your muscles begin to learn how to do it. That's when you're a swimmer. But it takes all three. It takes that wisdom, it takes that courage, and it takes that strength. If we remove any of those, the whole thing falls apart. We need all three to make that change and live into that next step of life. Okay, well, those three apply to basically any positive godly change you're going to make in your life. You will need wisdom on how to look at this thing and how to do it, and, and kind of what to do, you'll need courage to take that initial plunge step. We've just, you know, it's a, at a certain point, you do got to jump into the pool, and you're going to need courage for that. And then, of course, you're going to need strength, because nothing good happens in one step. You know, it requires, we've got to keep going, and we need strength for that. Okay, well, all three of those things, wisdom, courage, and strength, those are all things that we can and should learn to receive from the Lord. Those are all things that He wants to give to us. But just like Lee was talking about, one of the avenues through which God gives us wisdom and courage and strength is through fellowship. Uh, that's actually one of the key delivery mechanisms for all three of those things. So, for example, if you are you know, trying to make a positive change in your life, you can look at your close circle of people and start asking, who's done this before? Mm-hmm. Who's done this thing that I am looking to do that can give me some wisdom and some guidance and perspective? Who's done something close to it? that can give me some wisdom and some guidance and perspective, or who knows someone who has done this thing? Maybe they're not a close friend of mine, but you know them and you could inter- introduce me and I could get some wisdom and guidance perspective that way. 
The next thing is courage. Man, if there's one thing fellowship should be good for, it's cheering one another on to take that bold step, to take that plunge, to jump into that pool. With that sense, not just of you can do it, but we're here for you. And we're standing with, if you jump into that pool and you you start to freak out, you start to have a hard time, we'll jump in after you and get you out of there. You're not on your own. You're not alone. You know, so you can, with confidence, you can jump into that pool. And then that last thing, of course, is strength, which in many ways in the form of fellowship is really about encouragement. It's about people cheering you on as you do the thing. One of the things we don't talk about with changes very often, but super true is there's this weird arc to them where at first we are starting to consider the change. And then we almost get a little bit kind of excited, but also scared because we're starting to play with the idea of maybe I really could make that change. And that's kind of, again, there's, it's a little exciting. It's a little scary. And then we're actually going to do it and we're super terrified but we get that courage and we jump in and then we feel great because yay, I did it. And then comes the hard work of keeping going. And we don't actually talk about that part of change making very often, even though that's actually the bulk of it. That's the biggest piece is the you've jumped in. Now you need to keep swimming. You need to keep moving. You need to keep going. And that gets really boring and it gets really fatiguing and it can it can get very discouraging. And that's where that fellowship is so critical is to have people say, dude, you're doing it. You're pulling it off. I see you. I see the work. I see the progress. I see, you know, what this is and where it's leading to keep going. Do that next lap in the pool. Keep going. You have got this. You're really doing something and you're pulling it off. All three of those things, wisdom, courage, and strength are all things we need. And they're all things that we can get from fellowship. That is all really, really spot on stuff from these guys on that. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, my family asks a lot for me and usually I'm happy to give. Sometimes they ask for so much that I can't give to everyone. I feel bad because I resent not being able to do it but I also feel bad because I want to help them and I just feel like I can't. Sometimes I don't even notice how upset it makes me until I've already given them a bunch and they're still asking. So I feel like a hypocrite or arbitrary when I stop giving what they want. And an excellent question and certainly uh, something I, a situation, be it uh, with money, be it with time, be it with emotional stuff. I think a lot of folks find themselves in some version of this and leave. Where would we start off? Well, the first place I would start off is just to say, I'm sorry you're in this situation. That really sucks. Um, everybody on this show knows what it's like to have family situations with, with people wanting stuff from us that sometimes we can help and sometimes we can't. Sometimes we have what it takes to help and it would be inappropriate for us to help. It would be enabling some other kind of behavior. I want to I talk for a few minutes about boundaries and, and give you one specific thing that I think a lot of people can sometimes miss, uh, specifically when it comes to boundaries. We talk about having boundaries on this show uh, quite a a little bit. And so if you've listened for a while, I'm sure you've heard us talk about it, or you can go back and check out some former episodes. But the, the, you know, kind of the skeleton of this whole thing is that a boundary, in simplest terms, a boundary is you declaring what your behavior is going to be or won't be. This is not you trying to change the other person or, or saying how they're going to respond or anything like that. You are just making it clear, this is what I will do, this is what I won't do. Um, this kind of thing becomes very difficult to do when it comes to family members. Because family members can make you feel like, you know what, you always have to do whatever you p- possibly can do for family members. Um, they will put that thing on you 
and it's easy easy to make for them to make you feel like if you don't then you are like the pariah of the earth this isn't always a healthy truth this isn't always an appropriate thing sometimes you have to say no especially when you can't help anybody if you yourself run out of resources then you can't even help yourself so there are going to be times when you have to set up boundaries and you have to make those things clear i want to talk about one specific thing and these other brothers can cover a lot of other kind of areas for, for how this needs to be thought about. But that is, when you have to say no to something, this is a super important skill. You have the right to simply say, no, I can't do that, or no, I won't do that. I know that sounds weird, but let me break this down a little bit. Typically, what can happen for people is if they need to say no to something, they will have to. They will feel like I've got to give uh, every possible reason I can think of to defend myself from you, so that uh, you will also agree with me that I can't do this. So, like, I got to show all my cards. Well, I can't do that thing because there's a dentist appointment, and uh, and then we we got to pack for going out of town. You know how the how the you know the train schedule is and all that kind of stuff, and so I can't possibly be there. The thing is, is if there are people that are demanding unhealthy behaviors from you, and you start giving all of the excuses, they will find a way for you to be able to be at that thing. Trust me, they will close the gap for you. They 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 will come up with a reason for you to get around all those other things. Sometimes the thing you have to just say is, no, I can't do that. And you don't have to give your reasons. You don't have to show all of your cards. That's a part of boundary setting that can feel uncomfortable because it can feel like I'm not being polite or I'm not being nice or something like that. But when you have set up a firm boundary, you have the right to simply say no without giving all the the reasons or excuses or times or whatever for the thing is because if people are making unhealthy demands of you, they will work around all of that stuff and they will still keep you on the hook. So you have the right to simply say no to something without painting all of the all of the reasons or excuses or whatever it is. You don't have to show all your cards and that's part of setting firm boundaries. A really, really sharp place to start there. I think it's a great introduction. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because I think what Lee's saying is spot on, but there's some things we that will inform the way we approach this. Um, so, you know, we, in our day job, so folks, the bridge, um, there are certainly people who just have a lot of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do have to draw a boundary with them at some point of, sure. you know, how much, how much we can help, how much we can help now. Yeah. And, you know, and, but, but that can give you some negative feelings about yourself. Just like being described in the question here, they keep asking and we hit a point where I don't know how that works or I don't, have the resource to do that. And that may make me feel bad about myself. And that's right. something you do with. Then there's people who are trying to make you feel bad about yourself uh-huh. as a tactic. Yeah. And really our friend of the question, I think we, we're going to jump to that second one because we experience it a lot, but I think it's worth looking at both of those aspects and how we might play that a little differently, depending on which it is. Well, for sure. Let's think of it this way. If someone is trying to get you to do something, and they are trying to make you feel bad at the same time. <laughs> that's manipulation. And I'll tell you why. Because that's not how you get people to do things. Right. You know what I mean? If you say, I brought you a cookie. Would you please help me uh, unload some groceries? 
That's a, it, this is this is a tit for tat exchange. I do like cookies. It might be a transactional relationship, but at least there's a, you know what I mean. There's, I mean, we read some Bible verses earlier, but we're not anti-bribery on this podcast. Oh, it has please. its place. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, but if someone comes up to you and says, "You know how you're a jerk. Help me unload the groceries." Wait a second, you know, uh, that's uh, but weird pitch. Exactly right, but it's funny how we fall for that yep. more than the cookie, because <laughs> the 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 reality is, if I feel bad about myself, it's so much easier for you to manipulate me. Yep. If I'm down on myself, and I get the thought in my mind, if I do this thing that you're asking me to do, I get to feel better about myself. Well, of course, the the thing you have to work out is they're never going to let you feel good about yourself. That's how they're getting you to keep jumping through their hoops. Yep. So there's there's no way you're going to be the good son or the good brother or the good whatever because they're going to keep treating you like crap in order to get you to keep jumping through the hoops and giving them what they want. So uh, if someone's making you feel bad about yourself from, from junk, I mean, that's what I'm looking for is... Oh, you just said something awful. No. That's, no. Why would I why would I reward that? You know. Uh-huh. Um but you have to be on your guard for that because again, I think we fall for for that more. Uh I think the next thing to look at is who's putting this burden on you. If you're talking about family here and uh I can I can speak to jacked up family stuff pretty well. But I find that happens one of two ways. Uh uh, one way that that can happen is it's the person coming to you and saying, I need you to help me. Uh, the second of those is the family coming to you and saying, you need to do something for this person. Uh, they may have been manipulated into making that case or whatever. But the premise on either one of those is you have to. Yeah. And that the... Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say you have to. The 100% of the people who say it's Christian that you have to are people who want something from you. So yep. we have to consider the source on that. But I have a real problem with family that that are, you know, I've got person A that's messing up, family member A that's messing up. Family member B is coming to me and saying, okay, yes, family member A is a screw-up. Yes, they are making life unbearable. Yes, they are not moving forward. But I think we can all agree that that's never going to change. So if you eat this giant crap burger, we can all move ahead and get along and do fine. Okay. If ever there is a reason to take someone by the lapels and say, go away, get behind me, Satan. That's the wrong thing to say to somebody. This is that moment. You never, never, never go to an innocent victim in a situation and say, why didn't you take more abuse? Why didn't you take more nonsense, more chaos and mayhem and misbehavior? Because that would be easier for the rest of us. That's not, that's, that's an indecent thing to ask a person yes. to do. It, I mean, we could all understand the logic of it, the math of it. Yes, if I eat this crap burger, we would all do whatever. 
But you don't ask people to do that. That's wrong. It's immoral. That's an improper thing. And sometimes people just ask without thinking. I'm not trying to vilify that that thing. But I am saying you need to cuff that person and say, don't ever ask me or anybody else in this family to have that response. If the other person's misbehaving, you need to talk to them about their misbehavior, not about me just sucking it up and tolerating that. So that's that's how manipulation can work. My, I'm landing on this idea of Fartion. We talked about this uh, uh, recently about uh, the the verse, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And the word for burden there is Fartion. And uh, we talked about how that word for burden means uh, uh, it's related to the word for a a manifest for a ship. You know, mm. you, you, just, you determine what goes, what load, what burden, what cargo goes into this ship. And it's written down on a ledger. It says, okay, you know, this, this cargo goes in this ship, this cargo goes in that ship. And uh, we're trying to evoke this image of an untransferable burden. That's what that word means, fortion, that it, you, you can't put it in this ship because it belongs in that ship and so forth. This is other people trying to take a hold of your ledger, scratch off what God's got written down there, and write in, here's what burden you need to carry, because I've decided it's family, and you have to, and it's in the Bible, and you got to do it now. This is not how we're going to live our lives. This is not godliness. This isn't righteousness. This isn't Christianity. This is Christianity, this is what a Christian does. Christian carries the load that God gives them to carry and nothing else. And it doesn't matter who is disappointed in that. It doesn't matter what the manipulation move is behind that. God makes that decision, and we need to follow through with it. Absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff. And Jed, let's let's continue down this area of looking at manipulation, but then there's also maybe often mixed up that it can be we feel bad when we can't help someone. Right. Are there some things we can do to maybe start ferreting out which situation are we in if we're a little unclear for ourselves. I think we can. So uh, let's take a look at an example that is less emotionally charged because I think that may help to get a sense of what we're dealing with, at least some of the dynamics. So um, I have, at this point in my life, I've done at least a little bit of darn near everything in the media world. And when it comes to music, I've worked on a bajillion recordings. And um, I tell you that for two reasons. The, the first is I have some know-how in that arena. The second is I'm aware it's really hard to be an artist. Um, and so um, I know a lot of artists. And when they ask me for a favor, if I can help, I try to. Um, it's just, it's, it's an important thing to me to do. But now here's the key thing is... I all the time get requests for help from people where the request as stated will not work. They want to do a thing and it it won't work. They they want to record a song and, and the way that they've proposed to do this will not work. That's not like a, a value judgment. That's not a moral judgment. It's just, I've done this a million times. So I'm telling you that won't work. So there's, you know, or they, they want to do a design, but they, you know, technical reasons it won't work out. They want to shoot a movie and it won't. And again, I can look at this and I can say, the thing that you want to do that you're asking me to help you with will not work. This is, uh, and again, that's not a value judgment. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying your art is bad. I'm saying you have proposed a thing that will not actually help you. That's, that's what you've said. So then the next question for me when I'm dealing with artist types is, I'm going to give you a counteroffer of what I think would give you basically what you want, but it's also doable. 
It's a right. thing that can be achieved and can exist in the world. And what I found is very quickly, people fall into one of two camps. There are people like, oh, wow, that does make a lot of sense. And I'd love your help with that. And that would be great. Let's, let's do that. That sounds awesome. In which case, yay, we're off to the races. Hooray. Fantastic. And then there's a group of people like, whoa, bro, this is my art, bro. <laughs> it's art. Like you can't, you can't put constraints on art, bro. You can! I'm doing that right now. I am constraining your art. Don't you tell me I can't make a movie where Star Wars meets The Lord of the Rings, even though I don't have the legal clearance for that and my budget is only $20. I'm doing art. You can't do that. The thing you've described, you cannot do. <laughs> and so we've got these two camps, right? And, and the one camp, you know, is, you know, is workable, and I'm happy to help to the extent that I can. The other camp is not workable. Again, I don't have to judge that. I don't have to be mad about it. It's just, well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, you want to do a thing that can't work? I'm giving you something else that I think probably can. You're not interested in that. Let me know how it goes. That's not because I don't care. It's not because I don't love you. It's just that this is the world that we exist in. This is the world that we live in. And I bet you can see how that would work. Now, let's take a second and look at that with family stuff. My question for you is how often are people asking for the help they actually need? How, How often are they asking for help that would actually work? Right? They come to you with a, with a bright idea of, I need you to help me do X, Y, Z. How often would that make their life better and it would actually happen? It would actually occur. I bet a lot of the time what's being presented to you are terrible ideas. Maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time they're bad ideas that won't work and wouldn't help. And so the key question is, what happens when you redirect on that request for help? What happens when you say, look, for a lot of reasons, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. It won't work. I can do this other thing that I think would help and would get you where you're going and is much closer to what you actually need. Here's what I'm prepared to do. How do we feel about that? In that moment, I think you're likely to find again that people fall into two camps. One camp is going to, you know, uh, be grateful for the offer and, and say, you know, I think that does make sense. Let's take a look at that. And the other camp is going to lose their mind. All right. That first camp, um, if, if it's something the Lord's put on your heart, I think you can and should look at, and that's great. The other camp, you can say, well, good luck with that. Because there's nothing else to be said to it, man. Um, so often in life, people ask, they, they say they want help, but what they want is you to sign off on a thing that they've come up with that may or may not be achievable in reality and may or may not better their situation in any way. That's it. And when someone pushes back on that, and, and not just on the willingness to help, but on the, I think this may be ill-conceived, they totally and completely freak out. This is the key thing. When people ask for help in any kind of legit way, it always comes with an understanding, someone may want to evaluate the assumptions that I've made in my model. It always works that way. Um, people that are not cool with a basic review of the assumptions and the model are people that are not actually looking for help. They're looking to be enabled. And that's not something that you need to be a part of at all. That's absolutely right. And I would add on to just all the really, really great stuff these guys have given you. There also comes a point where you have to have an internal monitor for these things. And there is going to be a point where you hit all you can do. There's also how much you want to do. Sometimes those will line up. Sometimes they won't. But this idea of is someone, it is an unfair thing as Jez laying out for us here to expect someone. If we take it out of the analogy, he's given us in the current one. When, when Jed says, you know, someone pitches him their Lord of the Rings meets Star Wars meets Captain America, but I don't own any of the rights to this, but it'll probably be fine idea. 
Jed does not expect them to like when he tells them. Sure. That's not going to work. Like literally someone named Disney will live inside your skin. If you try to pull this <laughs> off, that's how sued you're going to get. Like we're not, that's not going to work. Um, what we're looking for is on a, a kind of pushing through that initial thing to, okay, well, I'm happy for what I can get, or can we figure something else out? And maybe they're throwing a tantrum, but all that is based going to make you, the thing that's going to make you kind of less manipulatable is if you are clear to yourself and maybe you talk it over with a spouse or a pastor or another family member, here's what I did. I think that's reasonable. And as, as Lee brought up earlier, this must be said. Sometimes nothing is that, yeah. you know, you know, if someone who's asking you for money and you know, they're going to buy drugs with it. Zero is the amount of money you should give them. That's yeah. not like, it's not, I'm going to only give them enough for a little bit of drugs. I don't want them to go crazy with it. Sometimes that answer is nothing, but you got to kind of, I think sometimes one of the things that can really hurt everyone involved in the situation is when we let the person who's on the wanting stuff in to be that legitimate or manipulative, set the tone of this, this interaction as we go forward. One of the things we really try hard, like for example, with the bridge is we have processes, we have ideas, we have, we have, we are going to set the tone of this interaction. If you come to one of us and ask for, I need this, we're going to tell you, here's the person to talk to about that. It may not be me. Here's what we can do. Here's what we, we do do. Here's what we don't do. All that really helps us not get caught down that rabbit hole. And it helps this kind of differentiation we're talking about here of who wants help and is wants the kind of help we can give. There are some people who want help that is legitimate help, but isn't what we do. That's totally cool. We just don't do that here. And then the people who are on the hustle, it also divides them out pretty easily. That's the kind of thing you can retrofit down into just kind of your own individual experience. But as these guys are all pointing out, these kind of emotionally charged, particularly family situations, you got to do some of that work beforehand before you get into the situation. It's really going to help you out. All right. If you have a question for us, say it podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, You can scroll down in your episode description to find those links to the song this week. This is from our September edition of bridge box. This is Lee's contribution called Ooh. your words of promise. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, you could be on a date. Even now you don't even know. Whoa. <laughs> your word is a promise. The promise is love. No matter how I feel or what I've done. Your word is a promise. The promise is true.
says I'm family, your word says I'm free It says that you're not through with me You tell me you love me, you tell me you're here You tell me I don't have to fear Your word says I'm family, your word says I'm free It says that you're not through with me